What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in today to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast here on Dog Sports Radio. I'm Tyler, and with me on the other end of the line here is my co-host, Curtis. You can check us out on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. And uh, if there are any questions, any topics you want to hear us discuss on the show, anything you have to say or just want to chime in your thoughts on the show, we love to hear what you have to say. Uh, so you can hit us up on Twitter there, Glory underscore UGA. You can also email us if social media isn't your thing, at podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I also want to quickly mention that if you are new to the show, you can uh, you can definitely listen to us on Dog Sports Radio, which I'm sure a lot of you are right now. But you can also find the show on a number of different platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, all of those podcasting platforms out there. Uh, all you gotta do is just search for Glory UGA on any of those platforms, and you should uh, should be able to find us pretty easily and listen to us. Pull us up, listen to us in the cars. You're kind of uh, getting a workout in, anything like that, make it a little easier for you guys there. So check us out there. Give us a review. Um, subscribe, all that good stuff. Definitely help us out. But um, let's go ahead and get into the show here. And as we sit here, we're recording this on a Wednesday evening for our typical Thursday show, our off-season schedule here. But uh, G-Day is rapidly approaching here as we sit down on a Wednesday night. So uh, we're going to spend the majority of the show previewing that, looking at the storylines that we're watching for, identifying players that we will be watching closely. Uh, But before we head in that direction, I do want to briefly just touch on some topical information that's been uh, making the rounds here the past couple of days. And uh, that has that's something that the beat writers and the mainstream media sources, really, particularly the beat writers for our UGA football program that, that cover the program extensively, they were all up in arms yesterday about this. And that is the new rule, a uh, new policy, I guess, coming out of Bud Smear, really Kirby's new policy regarding the reporting of player injuries. Kurt, did you see all the gnashing of teeth over this on social media the past couple days? Yeah, I really did. They were not happy. Dude, they are pissed. I mean, on one hand, I get like it's this is their livelihood, right? They got to report information. They got to feed the desires that we all have, our insatiable appetites for football information, and this is limiting their ability to do so. I understand that to a degree, but man, like they're they're making their voices heard. Like they're and like kind of whining. Is that too strong of a word? Whining. About no, this? they're definitely whining, but it's not new, really. I mean, any any new uh, rule Kirby puts in place, they all complain about. Yeah, it goes back to like, and they call it they call it the Kirby rule with the the ninety day policy in terms of uh, the freedom of information request, where you should be getting a, a quick turnaround. But Kirby comes in, the legislature wants to change it. Maybe it's a coincidence, maybe not. Uh, of course, the, the stance of the, of the media is that that was that was Kirby's doing. It was at his instigation, and the, the state legislature pushed that through to where they, basically the university had a 90-day cushion uh, when the freedom of information request is filed by anyone in the media, which might make the information they're looking for null and void by, and make it a moot point by the time they actually get it. Um, so you know they, they were crazy upset about that, crazy upset about this. Uh, and I, I, on one level, like I said, I do kind of see where they're coming from, but – I don't know. But I guess on this deal, let's give a little backstory before you really kind of get into this a little bit more. Um, I realize a lot of you probably are already pretty familiar with this, but ba- but if not, basically during the already – I mean, let's be real. It's, it's already a very short media viewing period, right? I mean, they see, what, 10, 15 minutes maybe of practice? About that. Yeah, yeah that's why you got – like all the all the media, the beat writer reports you get about, uh, regarding practice, you got to take it with a grain of salt because they're only seeing what the coaches want them to see, which is very, very little. Basically warm-ups – uh, quarterbacks just throwing um, to receivers real quick. 
not doing much at all. Um, so it's already a short viewing period. But uh, last week, true freshman early enrollee D'Angelo Gibbs suffered what was first reported as a finger injury. I think at first they talked about a, fin- a potential finger dislocation. But then the story was updated later to a shoulder injury. Uh, well, given that their job is to report what happens at practice, most of the beat writers reported they did that. They reported that, that Gibbs suffered that injury at practice, which makes sense. I mean, that's kind of what they do. It's the purpose of their job. However, later that day uh, at his post-practice press conference when he was asked for further information on Gibbs' injury, kind of some confirmation, a little detail of what happened, Kirby got very short with the media, uh, and he very clearly showed his displeasure, got grumpy, man. He does that, man. It, from, he, he, Kirby, it's, it's strange. Like He can be very affable and very personal with the media, but then all of a sudden he can just turn that grumpy switch on, man, and, and he, he has that in him. And he very clearly showed his displeasure with the situation and uh, declared – that there would absolutely be changes to the policy. So fast forward to yesterday, word comes down that there's a new policy for the beat riders on the UGA beat. Not only can they not report injuries that they see with their own two eyes while at practice without first getting clearance from, from Coach Smart, which is what basically happened with the D'Angelo Gibbs situation. They saw what happened, reported it, um, and Coach Smart wasn't too happy about that. Uh, but he went a little further, and now the beat riders also cannot even report on the players that are in that they see out at practice that are, are in black non-contact jerseys like Ant- or working on the sideline with the trainers. Uh, again, that's, that's pretty typical. Practice reports, you always get the update of who's in black, you know, who's nursing some sort of injury, who's on the sideline working on a bike or working with a trainer. So basically this new directive coming down from, I mean, let's be real, it came from Kirby. I mean, you, you can say it came from the sports information department, but this is Kirby's deal. Um, it's pretty clear it's designed to prevent the media from reporting on any injury situations that don't come straight from the head coach. So I guess the first question here for you, Kurt, um, are you surprised that Kirby went this far with this policy? Not at all. I think it's more or less him showing, you know, putting the foot down. And I think it's another one of these things of going back to, you know, controlling the message. Um, I think, you know, one thing that bothered him was, you know, like you said, depending on which injury it really was for D'Angelo Gibbs, you had people false reporting on what it was. And when that gets on, you know, there's a lot of confusion out there. And, and you're right. That's a big part of controlling the narrative, and that comes back to like the Saban days. You know, I mean, now, I know. I mean, it goes back to the same thing, like you're saying, the Saban things. That you know, everyone wanted someone different from what Coach Rick had. Everyone thought he was too lax. He was too this, too that. Country club atmosphere. Well, then you know, ever since they've hired Kirby, everything he's done, they've been upset with because he's been closing them off. But and you, but you get it from the media point of view. I mean, like they 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 want access, but they're not getting it. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, they had a field day about against all the faults of Mark Rick. True, and then true. you have someone who's the complete opposite, and of course they're going to find faults with that. You know, you can't make them happy. Well, I mean, on one hand, your job, it's, it's. I mean, there's going to be some antagonism there. That's, that's just natural yeah, when it comes I mean, to this, it, because it, he, he's got to guard certain is, things, really. and they want, they want access to everything, and that's never going to happen. So there's always going to be some pushback on both ends. So it's never going to be a perfect relationship. I mean, even with Rick, I mean, there were times where he got testy and things weren't perfect. But you're right, he, he definitely had a much more collegial relationship with the, with the press. Well, Kirby does too. I mean, at times, you listen at some press conference, the opening press conference this spring, like he was very, very, he was very affable. Uh, he was very collegial. Um, he was very down to earth, very open, cutting jokes, and just in a generally good mood. Uh, but then, you know, get into spring a little bit here, when something like this happens, he, like, I, I don't want to say he wasn't pouting, but I mean, he was petulant to a degree about what happened. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I guess you're right in saying that there's definitely a difference here. And the media, 
they're they're all over him. Well, not all, all the time, but right now they are with things like this. You can go back to the Kirby rule, and then also with the uh, remember the transfer thing with with Terman. Yeah, I mean, I love that. They were about that. Another thing is, it's not only the person, but it's how the media has become in general, no matter what you're looking at. Uh, especially with, you know, the new technology people, you know, before you had to wait to write it in papers and stuff, that, you know, coming out the next day. Well, now you can come straight to people on over social Twitter. Media. And, yeah, over social media and things. So, you know, they're wanting to report right away. And that's how, I found it. that's how I found out about it. I saw it on Twitter. Exactly, and, and that's the biggest thing. And, you know... With that, such access to said social media, you know, like Kirby, I don't know if it's a legitimate reason, but it also is a thing where, you know, with that communication also brings communication towards the players' families and things like that. Bingo. And I think, honestly, like, and I'm not in Kirby said, I think that's what has him most up in arms about all this. It makes him look bad. Because uh, he. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, false, false information. And when you I mean, when you go recruit kids, you are convincing parents also that you are going to take care of their kids for the next couple of years, and you're going to keep those lines of communication open. And when she, when I mean, think about it. if you're a mom or a dad and you find out about your kid getting injured over social media and not from the coach, like and that's going to freak you out. And you don't and you don't know to, whether to believe it, how extensive yeah. it is. So I get that. I totally get that from Kirby's point of view. Like he wants to be the one to tell the parent. Uh, I totally understand that. I do. Uh, but I, I mean, you, on one hand, you guys see the, the media is out there, and their point of view is that they essentially look. We can't unsee things. If we see something, our job is to report it. So you're asking us not to see it. Uh, but look, I, it sounds like you side more with Kirby than the media on this. Um, I mean, there, there's arguments of both sides. Yeah, I see both um, sides. I think I lean towards when it Kirby. Comes to like you said, wanting to win. Kirby has a responsibility to these kids and their families. Right. And that's why, like, if it comes to, like, the media seeing it, that they witness an injury, which, we, let's be real, like, them actually witnessing the injury doesn't happen all that often. There's a couple times I can remember. I think Malcolm Mitchell hurt his knee when he was coming back, and he kind of re-heard it. Uh, and they saw that at practice. I'm trying to think. I feel like there was another time, but I can't remember exactly. Oh, Justin Scott Wesley. Remember that? Yeah, that was reported. They saw that and reported that. And then this. So that's all I can really think of off the top of my head, where they've actually seen injuries and reported them. Um, while they're watching practice in the short amount of time you get to watch practice. So I have no problem with Kirby saying, all right, if you see an injury, I do not want you to report it right away until you get clearance from me because I want to be able to talk to the parents and be able to tell them, hey, this is what happened. Here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do about it. I totally understand. And once you do that, Kirby can come back and say, hey, you know, guys, talk to the parents. You go ahead feel free to report it. That's cool. But are you okay with the next part where if a guy is in black where he's not practicing – uh, or he's on the sideline working out, or if he's in a non-contact jersey, with a, where you've clearly, like, this is something that's been going on, parents have probably been contacted, are you okay with him kind of extending the reach to that, where now the, the media can't even report to, to us out here, the general public, who are curious about this stuff, they can't, we, we can't, they can't report to us who's not practicing, who is practicing? I have to say on that, you know, it, it also creates a lot of confusion, Why? while it is nice to know who's in the red jersey and who's in the black jersey, things like that, half the time, you see them say, well, he's in a black jersey. None of us know why. We'll find out later. They usually don't. They say because black is the non-contact jersey. If you read the practice reports, so-and-so is practice, was, was, was out there practicing, but they were in a non-contact jersey. And we're not yeah, sure so why. We'll get, and then we'll ask Kirby at the press conference. Exactly. A majority of the time, they don't even know. So, I mean, I get you want, might want to tell them right away, hey, they're in a black jersey. But even then, they're, they're, they're reporting that without having the full information. True. True, but bottom line, I, mean, I, get, I like I do get them wanting to say right away, "Hey guys, just a heads up, he's in this." But at the same time, like I say, most of the time, 
you always hear people, that's when all the message boards blows up. What's wrong with this guy? What's wrong? Oh my gosh, what's going on? And no one knows until the end of practice and Kirby will tell them and they're just like, oh, okay. Well, all that confusion, all that, you know, hysteria that always happens doesn't, it's, it's held to a minimum when they can report at the end of practice and say, hey, today this guy was in a black jersey. This is the reason why right there the story's done. Yeah. I mean, that's all true. And I, I think bottom line comes down to they, both sides, Kirby and our sports information department, and then also the media who cover the program, they both have jobs to do. And sometimes their yeah. jobs, they, 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 they conflict with each other. And there's going to be some tension there from time to time. And, I, and that's, that's natural. It happens. But like, I, I will say, I think the media has, has like way overreacted about this. Yeah, um, I think the overreaction has been a little bit childish. I think so, too. But, but could you say Kirby's reaction to this, like the, the heavy-handed response has been somewhat childish, too? How he ext- um, went beyond I just the D'Angelo Gibbs situation? I think he's kind of, once again, showing who's boss. I think he, I, I will say, I don't think childish is the right word for how Kirby said it. I think heavy-handed might be yeah, the right way to describe it. Yeah, I think coming down with an iron fist is more how I yeah. look at it. And Pretty much saying, you know, this is how it's going to be done. Yeah, but does that is does that in his best interest to handle the situation like that? Because the media, look, they can, like, I know Kirby wants to control the narrative. That's why he doesn't have the, his coordinators and assistant coaches speaking to the media. But the, the media, especially a, a, an out like the AJC, they are a powerful force in forming the narrative around your program and around you as a head coach. Is it not somewhat kind of walking that fine line? I'm walking on a tightrope there, treating them. I guess not treating them like this, but handing down a, he- a pretty heavy-handed pause like this towards the media who oh, can I shape. Mean, you can say that, but let's be real. A powerful, you know, so-called powerful source in AJC. When have they ever truly had a positive narrative about the University of Georgia? Very rarely. I think but they can still they can still shape Kirby Smart as kind of this this mini Saban tyrant who's never really won anything because which is what you hear sometimes he's a Saban wannabe who hasn't actually done what Saban's done without Saban's accomplishments you hear I that think, already I think no matter what he did that 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 would always be the narrative around him so you don't think the media whatever narrative the media creates is going to dr- impact his job one way or the other it may impact his job but I don't think it was going to change their opinion or their narrative about him because that's the story they have right now. The way I, I think you're right. I think the way I see it is if he if he wins, it, it, it's not going to matter because our fan base is going to give two craps about this. But if he doesn't win, if he comes back after an eight and five opening, you know, debut season, and second falls it up with another eight and four or nine and three what season with losses to some rivals, uh, then you lose the bowl game. I mean, if if you don't start winning, then I think those voices get louder and these things kind of blow up in your face. Now, if you win, it doesn't matter. These are small potatoes, right? Yeah. He's just got to win, so we'll see. I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things. Like, it's not honestly like I'm. A, I'm a consumer of information, especially about our program, and I want to. I want to know as much about our program as I can. And honestly, the beat writers don't give us. I mean, be, let's be real. Do they really give us all that in, that much information about what's going on with the team at practice? No, and half the time at all. It's just, they don't. And half the time it's their opinion. Yeah, really. it's right. It's through, and that's then that, that's how it. I mean, you're reporting through your lens, and are, are these guys really credible football? Minds, I, I don't know. Time, I, I really wonder, you know, like we said, you know, some sites have guys who used to do scouting for hockey. And all yeah. of a sudden, what's your football acumen? Yeah, now they're the the expert on recruiting for football. Yeah, I mean, where's your where's your credentials? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that's why I like to see this with my own own two eyes. That's why I go out to the to the recruiting camps whenever I get a chance on my own. 
Um, and that's why like, when we I love the fact that we got to go to an open practice last year. Like when they basically replaced pitcher day with an open practice, and I couldn't understand why people were pissed off about that. Oh, we'll get my picture taken. Okay, you get to watch freaking practice, dude. And that to me was I I learned more from that one open practice than I did with every single practice report I'd read from beat writers combined from that one open practice. And most of what I saw, and again, it was just one practice, kind of conflicted with some of the things I was hearing. So I like to see it myself, which, I don't know, I guess it comes back to the question, like, should the media get more access? Or should we as fans, should practice just be opened where we just get to come and watch? Or is, is this top secret, inf- this, the way, we basically hand this like a state secret where nobody can see practice. It's hard to get in. I mean, Are you I'm, cool I'm, with I'm that? be real. At the same time, that's not, you know, that happened at Auburn this, a couple weeks ago or during the season when Sean White was hurt. They were going inside to do all their offensive work so no one could see it, but they were all up in arms over it. Yeah, they were. I mean, you're right. It happened. Most places have practice closed, uh, and, and the media gets a small viewing period. But there, there are exceptions. I know um, Spurrier during his days, you know, he's no longer coaching, but he had an open practice. He didn't care. Uh, so, like, do you think it's that – like, is there really that much for them to hide? Like, would it hurt that much to, for fans to be able, if you're in the Athens area, to come and just watch a practice or at least watch certain segments of a practice? Um, you know, in the in the, the way sports have come nowadays, any little thing you can have over someone helps because they have so much film on you, so much things that I do believe that, you know, any little thing that you can have that someone's not ready for does help. I agree with that, but I think there's ways that you can limit the information getting out. I mean, look, so if someone goes to practice and sees something, they want to write about it, then that's whatever. Then you can't well, stop them. I also them. think the organization of it isn't always easy. You're going to spend a majority of your time and a lot of time trying to get things set up so fans can get there, people can come in there and watch instead of focusing and getting things, certain things ready. But once you get in the season, like, teams are already going to be – they already have film on you from games. I mean, how much more are they going to learn if someone goes to practice and says, well, hey, I, I saw Georgia do this? That, but I think it's also the fact that organization you probably have to hire more security i mean there's a lot of things that that's have a to really good read. point that's true well yeah that's what i was thinking here is like you know why can't i i understand like there's there are things that you don't want to see and you want and you want to control the narrative keeping people out of practice is part of controlling the narrative that that really is and to me that's what it comes back to for kirby and then real rick, rick didn't have open practices either i mean it's not just a kirby thing i mean most coaches don't um but like i would love um for a situation like for donors you know season ticket holders to be able to go in, you know, you check your name off a list. Because you, if you're a season ticket holder, let's be real. You, you're a loyal fan. You, you don't want to do anything to hurt the program. That doesn't mean there's not idiots out there. There are. But, you know, when you come in, you put your cell phones away, they, they do the, the wand thing to see if you got anything, like any photography on you, and you put all that away, and you go watch practice. I, I, I wish there was a way to do that. I mean, they, hell, they have coaches come out there doing the coaches clinic. Why can't you have a day or two for, for donors to come out there and watch? I mean, I know I'm sure they do for big money donors, but for a guy like me who donates what I can based on my salary – but you know we don't get to we don't get to see that, and I would love to. And I understand why we don't. I do understand the secrecy behind it. Look, I I, I get all that, but I also don't think it's it would hurt too much, especially during like, especially during spring practice, right? Think about spring practice. There's not much going on secretive stuff going on during spring. Now I get like if you're in season, I get that. But I also hear what you're saying with with the uh, having a, the logistical nightmare that might create. I understand. I get it. But the NFL does it. I will say the NFL does it. But that is, a, you know, yeah. But that's also their entire life. Everything true, about true, it, true. Fair Even point. the athletes themselves. Fair point. Fair point. All right. Well, let's move on. Enough of that. We went a little longer than that than I thought we would. Let's talk about G Day here for a few minutes. Look, guys, G Day. I mean, there's only so much you find out about spring practice, about practice, or about a team at a at a spring game like this. So, I mean, Kurt, if you're looking at G Day, like, does do you get excited about G Day? Does it get you pumped up? 
For a certain amount, yes. Okay, so if you had to rate it like, let's say a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like the excitement level you had for the Alabama home game where obviously that didn't go well, and 0 being like, you're like, man, whatever, I don't care. Where would your excitement level fall for a Probably a 4. You know, it's nice to see football, but it's such a tease, and at the same time it's not, you know, that informative. So you're only seeing so much, so it's just – it's nice. It's so vanilla. It gets your yes, yeah, vanilla gets your hopes up. Everything about that. yeah, it's vanilla, and there's only like you know you have all these you know spring game all stars. You know AJ Terman a couple years ago, people were up like, oh man, he's gonna, he's gonna be a good one. He's gonna be a good one, and then fast forward two years later, he's no longer with the team. So I mean, you can I think you can glean some insights, glean some insights from from what you see, but I don't think you can draw any definitive conclusions. I think you can look at individual players and say, hey, you know this guy's gonna be pretty good. I think he's got a chance to be good. Uh, and there's certain things you see. The coaches have a vested interest in not showing too much. As Kirby admitted on a 6A of the Fanny in an interview, and they were talking about, you know, did you watch? Have you watched any other SEC spring games that have been on TV? He's like, oh, hell yeah, we have. We've, we watch those as a staff. We break that film down. So if, if our coaches are breaking film down, you know that they know other staffs are doing the same thing to our tape for the spring game. So we're not going to show anything. All these new wrinkles are put in their offense. We're going to, we might show one or a couple new things here and there, but very vanilla stuff. So you're not going to see a ton there. Uh, and you always have the, you know, if, if one side does really well, if you say, hey, man, the offense looked great, well, that means the defense looked terrible. Or if, you know, uh, if the receivers are making plays all over the place, it means the defensive backs aren't doing their job. So it's, you know, it's give and take there. So it's, there's only so much you can take from it. But you're right, it is football. It's a chance to get in the same state and get, that, get around that environment. And it's, for me, I'm with you, three or four, about where I lay on that scale. Let's talk about the offense here. Let's start with the offense. Uh, what are the most intriguing storylines you are watching for offensively come Saturday? Definitely just to see the improvement of the offensive line. Yeah, that's the number one thing I have on my list here. Line of scrimmage. Are we actually making improvement up front? Are we bigger? Are we stronger? Are we getting movement up front at all? I want we. That's To me, that's probably number one for our entire team this year. Without that, I don't know how much more we're going to improve as a team. We have to have it. Even if Eason takes huge steps, if, we don't, if we're not able to run the football – and control line of scrimmage more often than not, we're going to be in trouble again, right? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, and then I guess the next obvious one would be the quarterback situation, right? Yeah, true. I mean, just those two really. And then even uh, see what we have receivers to see Terry in the slot. Yeah, playmakers or playmakers going to emerge out wide. Um, so all these guys can take the next step. All those things. But for me, definitely the line of scrimmage. You know, you got to say the quarterback battle. Is, is Easton going to take that next step? Is how, uh, what is the gap? Is Easton clearly ahead of Fromm or is Fromm right on his heels? I mean, look, and again, it's only one scrimmage, okay? The, they've had spring practice. Well, it's 15 practices. We're seeing one of those 15 practices. So, again, it's hard to draw any definitive conclusions, but you can get some insight into that there. What a, obviously, obviously, the quarterback battle is a big thing. We're going to be watching Easton. We're going to be watching Fromm. All eyes are going to be on those guys. But outside of the quarterbacks, what individual players are you going to be watching? Like, where are your eyes going to be on Saturday, offensively? Um, definitely, I'm going to be looking on the offensive line of scrimmage at people like Lamont Gilliard, um, uh, Isaiah Wynn, and the Seam Wynn Hayes, and some of these young guys. Dude, we haven't heard much at all about DeAndre, or I'm sorry, Hayes. We haven't heard much about him at all. Have you, I mean, have you noticed that? Um, yeah, I think that's purposefully at the same time. And he, he's still in here. Demarcus Hayes has been here for, what, 14 practices now? 
So, right. I mean, look, it's and – and I've had some people asking me, like, dude, is this guy – like, is he another Juco bust? I'm like, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen the guy play. So I, I really can't tell you. So I'm excited to see, you know, is this guy – is he someone who could potentially contribute once we get into uh, fall camp here as the season approaches? For me, you mentioned one of the guys. Isaiah Wynn is a big one that I'm looking at. I've seen this guy around around town. He's definitely like, the reports I'm putting on weight. Those are 100 percent true. He has definitely bulked up some. He's I mean you don't he hasn't grown any taller. He's still about six two, but he's definitely put on some good weight. Uh, and I'm very curious to see if he's going to be able to handle the load at left tackle again. One scrimmage, one practice, but just to see if he is has made some strides because I think if he can lock down that left tackle position, that really creates some some versatility for us. We're able to move some parts around. And that will that will definitely help us out offensively because that was a, that was a major issue last year. Whether it was getting moving in the run game there, but more so speed rushers. If you can handle that, that could be something that could be very beneficial. Will be very beneficial for our offensive line moving forward. What about Miko, man? Um, I mean, I just don't know how much he's ready yet. I mean, I I just I, want to see him well, running around out there catching passes. Yeah, well, that would be nice. I'm not expecting as much about him as I am people like Win and all the offensive line. Yeah. And I don't know what to expect with Miko. I don't because how I mean he's been again fourteen practices on offense after practicing defense all last year. So I don't know what to expect from him. So I don't really have any like significant expectations for him in this one setting. But I would like to see where he is offensively. Can he be that playmaker? Is he going to flash some of that? Which I think he will. Uh, But I'm curious. Just want to see. I just want to see where he's at right now. What about here's another guy, Elijah Holyfield. Yeah, it would be nice to see him get some more carries because you know the first two guys won't. Yeah, he just didn't seem – I mean, you, look, Harrion got some carries early in the season. He as much, did not get as many later on in the season, but we saw him a fair amount. We didn't really see Holyfield outside of garbage time against Ole Miss. Really, we didn't. I mean, he was on special teams, but actually carrying the ball, we did not at all. And, there, and he was ahead of Harrion during fall camp last year. He was the number three bat before the injury. So I'm going to see – where does he fit in this? Is – is he right there with Harry, and has Harry firmly established himself as that number three back? Because if Holyfield's down the depth chart with DeAndre Swift coming in, I mean, maybe this is a guy down the road that might have to, that might end up transferring. I hope he doesn't, and I, I don't. I I think he's a really good back. I just want to see where he is right now. I did see him at the first scrimmage a couple weeks ago, and he looked good from what I saw there. But that, that was very situational. Some of the things that we were doing, goal line, uh, two minute drill where you're not getting a lot of carries, uh, running some uh, red zone stuff. So I'm curious to see how he does in, in this particular setting. All right, let's flip it over to defense here real quick. What are the most intriguing storylines for you defensively that you're going to be looking for? Um, The cornerback and the safety position other than Sanders. That's what I have that second on my list here. Just that defensive backfield. Are we gonna, Are we ready to take that next step? Are we ready to be able to shut down some passing games? Because we've been solid in the secondary. And we were good in the secondary. Well, we were top 10 under Jeremy Pruitt, right? In terms of pass defense. Yeah. But Watching us those years, did you ever feel like we were a dominant secondary? No, I actually thought we were terrible. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I wouldn't say terrible, but I didn't think we were dominant. Like I thought our numbers, our past defense numbers, were way better than what we actually were talent-wise. Right? Yeah. And, and I think part of that had to do with the teams we were playing. You know, playing some option teams. They didn't throw the ball a ton. Georgia Southern and Georgia Tech. Um, who else did we play that year? That was one of those Louisiana teams. Wasn't Florida ran all over us. Yeah, who was that? I forget. I don't know, missing off the top of my head, but they also ran the ball a lot. Um, was it Lafayette? Louisiana Lafayette? No, it wasn't Lafayette. I don't know. One of those teams. Monroe. Monroe, it was just right. Louisiana Monroe. That's who it was. I think we played Lafayette this year, yeah. So uh, I'm curious to see if some of those guys are right there. Is Malcolm Parrish a guy as a senior who's going to really 
improve. And I, I think he's been a really good underrated player for us, for all, especially in run support from that position. But is DeAndre Baker, is he going to hold on to that spot? What about Tyreek McGee? You know, is he a guy that you hear a lot of buzz about him? You heard a lot of buzz about him last year on the scout team. Is he a guy that's really – because when I went to the first scrimmage earlier a couple weeks ago, earlier in the spring, he was working with the ones. I want to see him again there, see what he's able to do. So looking at individual players here, we mentioned a couple. Are there any other uh, individual defensive players that you're going to be watching very closely on Saturday? Can I see where they are? Um, Definitely Rochester and Ledbetter. Yeah, I got Ledbetter on here, man. Because I, I, here's my thing with Ledbetter. I think he's going to be a beast. I think he has that potential. Like I really, really do. Uh, especially now he has the suspension behind him. He doesn't have to worry about that. You got that weight off your shoulders. He's with the team. And going through practice, obviously. I think this guy could be a legitimate force for us up front on the defensive line. With that versatility, being able to play that five technique out wide in your base sets, setting, setting the edge, and then also in certain packages and passing situations, kind of sliding down the interior, rushing the passer there. I think this guy is going to be huge for us, and I, I really want to see the kind of step he's taken. What about Lorenzo Carter going into his senior year? Yeah, is he, is he gonna, but you won't see but the thing is you don't get to see rushing. Right, well, you get to see him, but you get to see rushing, but not actually contact with the quarterback. Yeah, which is where he struggled. That's true, getting guys on the ground. There were moments, several instances, I guess, where he had chances and Chad didn't. Kelly. Chad uh, Kelly, a couple times. How many times with Chad Kelly? Too many, man. Too many. There was a couple with Dobbs, I think, too. I don't know. I guess those guys are slippery. So, But I want to see if he's at least taking strides to maybe become live up to the hype of the five-star rating they had come out of high school, which uh, putting those expectations on guys is always unfair. But I'm curious to see. What about the early enrollees? What about D'Angelo Gibbs, Richard LeCount? Well, you're not sure. If We're not sure D'Lo is going to be in there, right? Yeah. But we know LeCount is. I mean, there doesn't seem to be an injury situation there as far as we know. I'm curious to see where he is, where he because I think these guys are going to have to help us at some point in the year. Curious to see where they are right now. Hopefully, D'Lo will be able to play. We'll see. Uh, all right, so let's look at this as a whole. Uh, what in your if you're looking at Gita when it's all said and done in the aftermath of Gita, what would you say would make for a successful Gita scrimmage? <sighs> no injuries. That's a, that's the only thing I have written down on my notes too. Come out of this injury-free, man. Because let's be real. What happens at G-Day, it's one part of 15 spring practices. Okay, for us fans, it's all we get to see, so it's a big deal for us. We can do out the stadium and everything. But for the coaches, it's just one more piece of evaluation. Now, it's a, maybe it's a little bit more of a – maybe it's got a little more value to it since you have a big setting. It's more game. like it's as close to a game setting as you're going to get with a practice. But still, it's a practice for them. It's a scrimmage. So if we can come out of this with no injuries, I'm good. Right, I'm good. Because for to sit here and say, man, I will, I really, I hope, the, I hope the offense really throws the ball well. I hope Eason is accurate. I hope he hits a lot of deep balls. Well, if you say that, then our defense looks like crap. So I don't, I don't know if I, if that's if if I want to say, yeah, I really just hope we throw the ball really well, or I hope we run the ball really well. I hope we our offensive line dominates line of scrimmage. Because if that happens, it means our defensive line isn't up to par without Trent Thompson, without Roquan Smith in there. So yeah, for me, just come out of this injury free, please, and I'll be okay. I'll be okay no matter. What happens in terms of who plays well and who doesn't? Uh, but we, we can't. We'll get out here in just a second. But we can't talk about G Day without giving an estimate on attendance. Now Kirby has been making the rounds. I mean, he's come on, I think six eighty the fan, two times in in the past week. Uh, he's been going out there doing all sorts of things. Interviews with Ed Ashoff of ESPN. He's he's trying now 
to drum up support. Now, we've, we haven't done the hashtag 93K Day. Kind of, we haven't branded it that way. It's the red versus black game. But now he's going out there calling. He's saying Muschamp is calling us out, saying that people are, you know, he's expecting maybe 40,000 like that. He's challenging us. He's, he's putting the challenges out there publicly now, without starting about two weeks ago. Do you see any way we get 93K? Do we pack the house again? No, I'd probably say 50 to 60. 50 to 60. I don't think we packed us. I'd say I'm going to go I'm a little higher. I'm going to go 60 to 70. 60 to 70k. I think it'll be which is good. I mean, that's that'll be more than what we ever had under Rick. And I, I think you know, last last year was a perfect storm. We all know that. I mean, it's a new coach, new energy. You had Eason coming in, all that excitement around the program. Then Kirby goes out and his first public comments there uh, at uh, the basketball game calling the fans out saying, "We need you all there." That was a perfect storm of events. Um, so I don't think we're going to get that again. But, um, yeah, I think it would be a big crowd. But does it really matter? Like, does, does the attendance matter? Do you, like, you look at all these numbers. Because if you look at like South Carolina, there's, like, nobody at South Carolina. At Ole Miss, did you see Ole Miss this spring game? Um, no. There was I mean, no one there. It makes a bit of an impact when you see, like, what it did for Swift and stuff. Yeah, so is it just a recruiting thing? Does it really matter for recruiting? A little bit, maybe. Well, Kirby swears it does. I mean, and look, he's an expert recruiter. So I think it definitely, if recruits are there, it definitely shows the support of the fan base and, and how big of a deal it is. And that, that kind of builds into the mystique of your program as you're trying to sell your permits. One more thing that you can use to sell your, like in your utility belt, if you're Batman, to sell your program. Well, I did, I, yeah, I went, I went there. I went Batman. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it's not the be all end all, but look, it's it's just one more bragging point. I want us, to, hell, I don't know about you. I want to be able to say we had the most people at our spring game than anyone else in the SEC. I want to be able to say that. It doesn't mean, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean you're going to win any more games this year, but it, it creates perception that drives that narrative a little bit, especially when it comes to recruiting. So get there, guys. Moral of the story if you can, get there. It's football, it's spring. It won't be here for a couple more months after this. So if you can, make it out there, meet the challenge. Kurt and I'll be there. Uh, it'll be fun, guys. It'll be fun. So, G-Day, this Saturday, 2 o'clock. That's all we got for you guys today. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday of next week, recapping everything we saw from G-Day. Uh, I clearly just said that we can't really draw as many conclusions, but we'll draw some conclusions, I guess. And uh, just at least uh, talk about our observations, more or less, of what happened at G-Day, kind of wrap up what's going on around the rest of the SEC with their spring games as well. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Check back with us next week, guys. Thank you for listening. We always appreciate it. Go dogs. <laughs>